very first day. Remember that? Remember how you dried the tear in your eye with the first one? And when the last one went out, you said with Martin Luther King Jr., free at last, free at last. <laughs> New chapters. We all turn them over all the time. In the book of Acts, we come to such an occasion in this 20th chapter. <clears throat> Luke, the historian and physician, does a great service for the church as he writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and records a number of Paul's spoken messages. He does this with some detail. For example, in the 13th chapter of Acts, he records a message that Paul gave to Jews uh, and to Gentile God-fearers in a city called Antioch, located in a province of Pisidia, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, because he recorded that message, we have a good idea of how Paul approached his Jewish listeners when he presented the gospel to them. Then again, in chapter 17 of Acts, Paul records, Luke rather, records for us Paul's message on Mars Hill, on the Areopagus, this place where the uh, intellectuals of that day gathered in Athens near the Acropolis in order to hear new ideas and debate philosophical concepts. And in that chapter, we have a presentation of Paul's message. And we understand from that how he approached those who were pagan in their background and had very little idea of what the Old Testament taught about God. <clears throat> in chapters 22, 24, and 25 of Acts, we have Luke's record of Paul's defense of himself before various authorities. He shared his testimony, what God had done in his life. But here in the 20th chapter of Acts, we have Luke's record of Paul's farewell comments to some church leaders. It says in verse 17, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Paul was on a journey back to the city of Jerusalem. Things were about to change in Paul's life. A new chapter was about to open, a chapter of imprisonment and confinement and arrest. And as he is heading back toward Jerusalem, he is touching base with many of the churches that he has founded on previous journeys. He did not go to the city of Ephesus, probably because uh, he would have been mobbed by the believers there. But he also may have been mobbed by the pagans there who hated Paul and by certain Jews who sought to take his life. And so he went to the city of Miletus on the coast and asked that the elders come there to meet him, which they did. He bids them farewell in this meeting. And as he does this, he leaves an example to us as to how to bid a healthy farewell. There are good goodbyes, and then there are bad goodbyes. Some time ago, I heard about a guard at a Nazi camp from World War II who was dying. And he had become greatly convicted that what he had done there was wrong, and so he sought out some survivor of the Holocaust who could come to his bed and hear his confession as he died. And so someone was found uh, in the, <clears throat> the city where he was who could do that. And this person went to his bedside 
And the guard poured out his repentance over what he had done and confessed to this man that uh, what he had done was terribly wrong and asked him to forgive him. And the survivor of the Holocaust only sat there and could not bring himself to forgive the man and just walked away. There are unhealthy farewells, but Paul gives us an example of what a healthy farewell is all about. It is my desire, deep desire, to follow this model as we say goodbye in this ministry at Grace Church. I want to say farewell to you in a way that will impart God's grace to you, those whom I love. And so as we look at Paul's example, I think you will note with me several elements that are involved in a healthy goodbye. By the way, you can apply a good deal of this to the goodbyes of your life. Just think about it as we work our way through and follow his example of a healthy goodbye. A healthy goodbye in the first place includes recounting past experiences together. Paul says in verse 18, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In saying a healthy goodbye, the first thing that Paul does is to recount with them some past experiences. When you and I say goodbye, it helps us to remember the journey that we have shared in common. Notice that twice Paul uses that word how, H-O-W, in doing this, he sort of divides his thoughts in two directions as he recounts past experiences. In the first place, he talks about how he was with them serving the Lord. He is thinking of their times of service together. Now, if you read the book of Acts and understand what happened in Ephesus, you understand why a lot of what Paul says recounts suffering. Because the time in Ephesus was a very difficult time with a lot of affliction, a lot of persecution of Paul personally and of the believers there. But as he looks back, he wants them to remember with him those times of service. When they joined arms, they linked hands in serving the Lord Jesus Christ together. And then secondly, he recalls how he was declaring and teaching and solemnly testifying. Notice the verbs that Paul uses. In lots of different ways and manners, Paul says, I taught you the Word of God. And so he wants them to remember with him those times when the truth of the Word of God was laid before them. And he reminds them then of the very heart of the gospel message that he had preached. A message that is good for Jew and Gentile, he says, and it is this, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is there giving us the very essence of the gospel itself. It involves a repentance toward God, a change of mind and heart toward God, so that instead of rebelling 
against God or running away from God, one changes direction, one changes his mind about God. And then understanding what God has done for him, he then believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and trusts that Christ's death on the cross was sufficient for his sins. And he believes that Christ rose literally from the dead. And in doing that, the person becomes a child of God. That is the heart of Paul's message. And as Luke writes briefly what Paul is saying on this occasion, Paul points us all in the direction of the message he had preached. A healthy goodbye involves recounting past experiences together, times of service and times of teaching. As I look back over the 18 years that I have been with you, one of the Sundays that stands out to me is our very first Sunday together. I wonder if those of you who were here on the first Sunday, March 1 of 1981, would just stand a moment. If you're able to do that, would you stand? It's a long time ago, and I have the same feelings you do. All right, look at this. We have a number who are in this service. Thank you for doing that. I remember that first Sunday together with you. It was about 100 of us gathered to worship the Lord uh, in that auditorium. And I remember how God then began to bless, and over the coming months, how, how quickly we grew. I remember being on vacation. I think it was 1981, wasn't it? Uh, when uh, we were in Kentucky on vacation, driving to church, and we were listening to the CBS News, and they said that a tornado had just struck Roseville, Minnesota. I said, come on, you've got to be kidding me. And sure enough, uh, they confirmed that that's what had happened, that there was some damage, no deaths. Later that night, I called back to find out what had happened, and the tornado came right across through here, took out our trees over here, opened it up beautifully for parking. Remember that when we parked on the lawn over there? Until the, the asphalt was put in? I remember when in 1983, we relocated to the Northwestern College campus for a whole year. How many of you were part of that? Would you lift your hand? You remember back when we did that? It was a big challenge. Every Sunday we had to set up for church, and we used almost all the classrooms at that time, as well as Maranatha Hall, for a whole year to worship while they deconstructed and constructed on this site, the, the building that we're in now. And I remember canvassing neighborhoods together when many of us would go out into the northern St. Paul area, south of here, as well as in Roseville, and we, we canvassed the area. And uh, another occasion when we gave out the Jesus videos. I recall the series that we did on Romans back in the mid-1980s. Some of you may recall that. As together we struggled with the truth of that tremendous epistle. And for about two years, as I recall, we just went through it chapter by chapter and paragraph by paragraph, seeking to apply its great truths to our lives. And more recently, the series that we studied together on spiritual warfare and how God taught us how we're to fight the battle that we're in <clears throat> against our spiritual enemies. And all the time emphasizing the same message that Paul talks about here, the grace of God. I'm glad we began this morning by singing Amazing Grace. We call ourselves Grace Church Roseville, and that name was chosen when we began with a particular reason, and that reason is that that's the message that we preach here, the message of the grace of God. And that's the spirit and the attitude that we have sought to inculcate in our congregation, in our hearts, 
from the very beginning, the, the spirit and the attitude of grace, of God's grace in us and for us, and grace toward one another. We've had some special times together, times of uh, celebration and joy. I'll never forget this, this summer when we celebrated the elimination of our long-term mortgage, and uh, times of sorrow as well when we have laid to rest people that we've loved uh, who've been a part of our congregation. Here's what I hope that you'll remember after I'm gone, and that is that I have sincerely loved you and have taught you the Word of God as best God has given me the ability to do that. And I have sought to bring to you the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that you might fall more deeply in love with Him and grow in your intimacy with Him. As I look back upon our shared experiences together, I say, as Paul did to the Philippians, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Well, a healthy goodbye also includes relating personal convictions, as Paul does in the next verses, verses 22 to 24. He says, and now, he's not going to dwell in the past anymore. He says, and now, behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, <clears throat> in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And so a healthy goodbye includes this idea of relating personal convictions, as Paul does here. He shares his heart with them. In doing so, he talks about his own personal future. The Lord had spoken, apparently through prophets in the church, to tell Paul what was ahead. <clears throat> and Paul is confident that God is going to carry out his plan, and that's all that Paul is really concerned about, because he mentions not only his future, but his values to them. And he makes it very clear that one of his highest values is to fulfill God's course for him. When he speaks about that, he uses athletic imagery. He says, I want to finish my course. I want to finish the race that God has given me. Fulfilling God's personal assignment was right at the top of the list for Paul in his life. I want you to know that I feel the same way as I leave you. That I am leaving, as Paul says here, bound in spirit. Jeanette and I are both absolutely convinced that this is the will of God for our lives. He has given us great peace about that. And he has given us absolute peace about the fact that he is going to lead you as a church onto greater things in the future. We feel bound in the spirit by that. Not bound in a bad way, but just convicted, deeply convicted in the spirit that all of this is working out the plan of God. And I join with all of you, I hope, in saying that the will of God, God's race for me, is right there at the top of the list. I don't want to run off the course somewhere along the way or get disqualified, stepping out of bounds. I want to stay in the course that God has marked out for my life. I have to believe that all of you share the same deep desire 
Those are deep personal convictions to us. And that as we run this course, God is going to proclaim through our, our lives in those circles of influence that he gives us. He is going to solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God to others. What a wonderful thing that when God directs our paths in new directions, we have the privilege of sharing the gospel with new people, of having new spheres of influence where we can go and represent Jesus well. That is a great privilege as well as responsibility. A healthy goodbye relates personal convictions. When you say goodbye to your son or your daughter, they're heading off to college, tell them what your convictions are. Let them know what your dreams and your hopes for them are. Let them know what's important to you. That makes for a healthy goodbye, and it will cement something into them that all the pressures of college will not be able to erase. In saying a healthy goodbye, Paul also includes recognizing present realities. And we need to do that as well. Some people say goodbye almost in a fantasy world, pretending as though things are not what they really are. You see this most often when people are saying goodbye to someone who is near death. It's an unwillingness to face the reality with them of the finality of this. It's, well, I'll, I'll see you later, or it is... Uh, you're going to get well. We need to, to face realities when we say goodbye. Paul says in verse 25, Behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Paul tells them that separation is imminent, and he expects that that separation will be final. Now, it does indicate in the rest of the New Testament that may not have been the case, that Paul, in fact, did see them again. But as far as Paul knew at this point, the reality was, this is it. I'm not going to be back with you again in this world. And so he recounts for them the fact that he felt that his responsibility for them was now finished. He says, I am free from the blood of all men. I have not uh, shrunk from declaring to you the whole will and the purpose of God. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Now, I'm not going to stand here today and say, you will never see me again, because I don't feel that way. I hope that's not the case. But you won't see me in this role again after we say goodbye. And it will be a while before you see me because it is my conviction that a former pastor needs to stay former long enough for his successor to get established. And uh, when he comes back, he needs to come back at the express invitation of the new pastor so that there's, there's no undermining of the position and the, the loyalty to that new pastor. So it may be a while before I see you once we say goodbye, unless, of course, we run into each other on the street or you come to visit us in San Jose, but I won't be back in this role. And I leave you with some sense of satisfaction that I believe that I've done what God wanted me to do. 
I say some sense of satisfaction because it's not complete. There are things I wish I had done better or differently along the way. But nonetheless, I leave believing that I have done what God wanted me to do here. And in the same sense as Paul, I feel relieved of that responsibility. Those are the present realities, and we need to recognize them and talk about them. That's part of a healthy goodbye. In verses 28 to 31, we see that a healthy goodbye involves realizing potential challenges. Transitions, as you may know, often bring vulnerability to problems. When a young man or young woman transitions out of their home to a new place to live or new job or to college, uh, it makes that young person vulnerable to certain challenges and temptations until they get their own home established or they get their feet planted or they buy their own convictions. In most transitions, there's a certain vulnerability that takes place in the process of them. And Paul expects that. He says in verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, he's talking to the elders now, from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul expected spiritual attack upon the church in Ephesus. From without, he expected savage wolves who would come in and attack the flock. And he says, even from among the leadership, I'm concerned that there will be those who will arise to draw away disciples after themselves. You see, transitions do not occur in a vacuum. Transitions, like all of life, occur when there are spiritual pressures to bear. And the enemy is always looking for a weak point. He's looking for an opportunity for a beachhead by which to attack the work of God. Now, Paul is addressing leaders in particular. And it is leaders in particular who must guard the church against these kinds of attack. And so to be on guard for themselves and then for all of the flock. But the truth also is that every one of us bears some responsibility for the welfare and the unity of the church. Let me tell you what I'm concerned about. After 30 years of working in churches, I know a little bit about the dynamics of people. When there is a perceived vacuum in authority in a church, it is not unusual to find some who will want to manipulate that for their own personal agendas. If you've had much experience in churches, you know that to be true. That there are often people who are kind of lurking back, waiting for that vacuum, and then who step forward in order to draw away disciples after themselves or to press their own issues. They have hobby horses that they want to ride, and they want others to get on the horse with them. And so I want to urge you to 
be on guard during this transition period. Understand that it is a vulnerable time, in a sense, for Grace Church Roseville. And beware of, of those who would seek to take advantage of this time by bringing in doctoral ab doctrinal aberrations, or who would use it with gossip against leaders trying to undermine or to draw away people to follow them, or those who would sow seeds of unrest or of distrust. Now, I have no particular group or person in mind in saying that. I'm only saying it in principle. But I'm saying it also aware of the reality of human nature. And so it's very important in this final goodbye for you and me to realize the potential challenges that exist at a time like this. And that we simply ask God to make each one of us a sentinel to guard the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. To be on the front lines and the moment we pick up that there's somebody who's creating disturbance that we go to that person and say, look, this is not the time for it. Or go to someone who's in charge and say, you need to be aware that this is happening so that we nip in the bud those kinds of things that the devil can use to bring division and hurt to the body of Christ in this time of vulnerability. <clears throat> A healthy goodbye talks about those kinds of things honestly and up front. It recognizes the reality of them. And then in verse, verse 32, the Apostle Paul gives us this model that a healthy goodbye involves releasing others to providential care. Paul has already told us how precious the church is to Christ. He shed his blood for the church. He purchased us with his own blood, verse 28. The church is so precious to Jesus that he will never forsake it, ever. Never will he leave it. And so in verse 32, the apostle entrusts the church to God with these words. He says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word commend literally means to place alongside something. Or it means to deposit, like you would deposit money in an account. Paul is saying here, and now I deposit you with God. What is he doing? He is acknowledging his release of them to the Lord. He entrusts them to God and to God's word, which he says is able to build you up, which is able to give you the inheritance that belongs to you. Paul, in leaving the Ephesians, knew that their church had a, a great potential for the future. And as he commits them to God, this is just written into the very language that he uses. As I say goodbye to you, I'm convinced that Grace Church Roseville has a future. Uh, this is the end of one chapter. It's the beginning of a new chapter. And God has some wonderfully gifted man that he is now preparing to come here and to lead you into the future who is going to help you to write that next chapter of what he wants this church to become. That's exciting to me. 
The Lord will not abandon his people, his church. And having said that, I want also to say, neither should the people abandon his church. There's usually a tendency in a time like this for people to say, well, it's time for me to visit around a little bit. I think I'll go see this church or that church. It's closer to home, or I've heard about what they're doing. And I suppose that's a tendency all the time, especially in the metro area where we have so many options. But folks, this is not the time to do that. If you want to do that at some point, then let God lead you in it. But this is not the time to do it. This is the time to pull together. Just as God is not forsaking his church, neither should you. This is the time more than ever before to say, it's important that I be there. It's important that I keep on giving. It's important that I get involved in serving. It's vital that I pray for my church. And by the way, that is the most important key in the months ahead. The success of the coming transition will depend upon your praying more than any other single element. I can't underscore that enough. So use the opportunities that you will have to pray together for God's blessing and his leadership and his guiding over the coming months. Here's what I'm trusting. I'm trusting that the Lord is staying with you. I'm trusting that he's going with us, of course. But because he is God, he's also able to stay with you. And he's able to lead you into that future. And by the power in himself and by the effectiveness of his word of grace, he is able to build you up so that the interim period is not a time of decline and deterioration, but it's a time of building up. It is a wonderful thing when churches go into an interim time and they actually grow. They grow. That happens. That is not that unusual. And when it happens, it's not a slight to the former pastor. Oh, now he's gone, the church can grow. That's not what it means. I'll tell you what it often means. It means that the church has suddenly owned this transition and they've become revitalized by the fact that they know that there's vulnerability and they know that they need God's blessing and God's leading in a, a deeper way than before. And so they begin to pray more intensely and earnestly. And as a result of that intensified prayer, God blesses and the church grows. I'm trusting God to be able to do that here at Grace Church Roseville. And likewise, I'm trusting you to remain loyal to the church. Loyal in prayer, loyal in service, loyal in your giving, loyal in your support for one another and your leaders, loyal in your encouragement of one another. As I say goodbye to you, as Paul does here, I commend you to God, and I release you to his providential care. And then finally, in saying a healthy goodbye, Paul includes a reminding of particular responsibilities. Verses 33 to 35. He says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs 
and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That quotation is not recorded in the Gospels anywhere. It suggests to us that in addition to the inspired writings of the New Testament, there were other oral traditions that were passed down of some of the things that Jesus said. And Paul here latches on to one of those and by the Spirit includes it in the inspired word, where Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Have you experienced that? I know you have. It really, truly is a happier experience to give to someone than it is to receive a gift, isn't it? It creates a, a bubble of joy in your heart. It's like drinking a whole glass of 7-Up all at once and just feeling that effervescence down inside. To give to someone who is in need is just a great joy in your heart to be able to do that. So Paul reminds them of this particular responsibility. They were to follow his example in, in generosity and to help the weak. And here's what I want to urge you to do by way of a particular responsibility. I want you not to become paralyzed by this transition. On the other hand, what I want you to do is to focus in the coming months on serving Christ and others. In the midst of change, it's easy just to shrink back and say, oop, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to wait and see what happens and become paralyzed. What I want to urge you to do is to focus on serving Christ, to be a giver to others. Not someone who's receiving, but someone who's giving. And you know, if you do that, if you do that, your life is going to be so fulfilled and rich and blessed in the coming months. And the time of this transition, be it a year or longer, whatever God takes, and let him take the time he needs to prepare you and prepare the candidate that you'll vote on. But that time period will go more quickly than you can possibly imagine if you're really focusing on serving, being busy serving the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. Healthy goodbyes don't just happen. They are intentional. They are created by the steps that you and I take. They take place when you and I purpose in our hearts to honor God and to do what is right and to do our part. Will you today purpose to do your part? Will you do that for the church's sake? Will you purpose in your heart to make this a healthy farewell for your sake and your family's sake? Will you determine in your heart, will you, with an intentional act of your will, make this a healthy farewell and transition for Jesus' sake? Because you see, ultimately, it's his name, <clears throat> it's his glory that is involved in this. 
Some of you have been very, very kind in words to me and to my family. And I thank you from the bottom of, of my heart for those words. I feel very unworthy of uh, the things that have, many of the things that have been said. But let me say this, that if you have appreciated my ministry in the years that we have been together, the very highest compliment that you can pay me is to apply in my absence what I have sought to teach you and to exemplify by the grace of God. That's the very highest compliment that you can pay me. And as you seek to do that, and to focus on serving Christ and others in the months ahead, this is going to be a farewell that will be noted in heaven. And it will bring blessing to the earth and joy to your lives and a great future for this church. May God make it so. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to respond this morning. And I'm not trying to put undue pressure on you, but sometimes it's good for us to make a move physically as we say that we're going to do something. So if you today would respond to this message and say, God, help me to do my part. I want to make this a healthy goodbye. I want it to be a good farewell and transition. And therefore, I'm going to seek to do my part. And I'm going to be focusing on serving you, Lord, and serving your people. And I'm going to be praying and trusting you. If that is your intention, if that is your purpose, then I want to invite you to signify it by just standing quietly to your feet and saying so. Now, if you're from another congregation visiting this morning, perhaps this isn't the right response for you, or maybe there are no, there's another reason that you shouldn't stand, but, oh, God help you to, to do this. Amen. God, by your Holy Spirit, will you come and fill every heart responding to this message. And enable us, I pray, each one of us to do our part to make this the kind of a parting that will bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ and blessing to his church. We commit ourselves to you, just as Paul and these Ephesians did. And as we even shed tears in saying goodbye over the next couple of weeks, we nonetheless shed them with deep thankfulness in our hearts for what we have experienced together and with deep trust in you for what the future holds, knowing that it holds blessing as we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. And all God's people said, amen. We're dismissed.